Hey, Ray. Do you remember something in the Bible about the last days when the dead would rise from the grave? I remember Revelation 7:12, And I looked as he opened the sixth seal, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became as black as sackcloth, and the moon became as blood. And the seas boiled, and the skies fell. Judgment day. Judgment day. Every ancient religion has its own myth about the end of the world. Myth? Ray, has it ever occurred to you that maybe the reason we've been so busy lately is because the dead have been rising from the grave? How about a little music? Your move, Cree. Your move, Cree. I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. Flying saucers. Which are really, yeah, you got it, time machines. I think a lot about this kind of stuff. About this kind of stuff. This kind of stuff. <laughs> you think this is the real Quaid? It is. It is. It is. Welcome to our second episode of Tarantino's Big Number Two. <laughs> My name is Mike Morales, and I am here with Angel DeLeon. Really quick, I guess a quick introduction is that we are a couple old school Gen X film fanatics, and we're also old childhood friends from way back. We kind of grew up with each other. We used to hang out together when we were teenagers, and now we have reunited for on this podcast to talk about uh, some of the movies that we grew up on and kind of revisit them and talk about them and really kind of discuss about why these movies kind of were important to our lives. And, and I think let's talk about the, the title really quick. I mean, the title of Tarantino's. I think initially where we're talking to, where we're, we're thinking that this podcast was going to be about horror movies and we are a couple of Latinos from Orange County, hence the title Tarantino's. And it's also a play on Quentin Tarantino. Uh, what's your feelings on, on, on that kind of concept, Angel? Um, I thought it was good. I mean, the guy that came up with it was a genius. <laughs> it's a great pun. Yeah, it's a great pun. Um, I enjoy the fact that it kind of should explain a little bit like, when you think of Tarantino, you don't think too much, too much mainstream. But when he started his roots, I mean, we've we actually physically saw him at, like early on in his career because right. he was still, he was still out there at the comic cons pushing his stuff. <laughs> we saw um, him. We saw his rise from like this film nerd to kind of this, you know, one of the best filmmakers of his generation. And I think with with, with the title Tarantino's we're kind of playing on that because we are Gen Xers and we all, you know, we kind of grew up on these eighties and nineties films. And, uh, and I think we, we both consider these two decades as the prime years that kind of shaped our cinematic knowledge. Yeah. Not just us though, but I mean, yeah, sure, when you yeah. look at kind of, it kind of changed the industry. It went from like the old way of thinking about what you can do and how you can do it. And then everybody's like, you know, what? it doesn't have to be the same four guys or these same two companies putting out movies right right yeah so i think uh with this podcast we're basically going back and kind of revisiting some of those awesome films of of the 80s and 90s and i kind of joked to you you know before that this co this podcast is kind of like my midlife crisis you know in, oh, yeah. in a podcast form because like rewatching some of these movies have become a little bit like therapy for me and it's like reliving some of the best moments of my childhood and and it also gives me a chance to really kind of understand uh why these movies have such an importance in our lives and 
I suppose it's it might you know might be purely because of sentimental reasons or nostalgia reasons, but I think so far you know the movies that we have selected and the movies that we are planning to watch and for future episodes are kind of widely considered timeless classics, and I think that brings us to this episode where we're going to be talking about Ghostbusters. Yeah, I mean, love it or like it, everybody's seen it. <laughs> yeah, it's almost like a. Not a, I don't want to go as far as saying a coming of age film, but if you were a kid in the 80s and somebody was said something about Ghostbusters, you didn't know what they were talking about. You were ostracized real quick. <laughs> so we needed to get you in the headlock and take you into the movies. It's It certainly was a movie that everyone quoted from. It's a movie that I think everyone has seen. It, it was, certainly, if you're from the Gen X uh, generation, that it's it's a film that plays a very important part of our, of our childhood. And I don't know. I mean, it, it's, it's also, we, of course, we picked Ghostbusters because we're also it's also we're celebrating the new release of the the new Ghostbusters movie, which just came out a couple of days ago. And so we also want to talk about some of the legacy of Ghostbusters, but we're going to focus on, on the 1984 film. What are you supposed to be, some kind of a cosmonaut? <laughs> no, we're exterminators. Somebody saw a cockroach up on 12. That's got to be some cockroach. Bite your head off, man. Going up. I'll take the next one. Let's just talk about like what uh, what was it about Ghostbusters that appealed to you as a as a kid? Yeah, for me as a kid, what it was almost the uh, it wasn't as deep as like you know it's like a spiritual ghost thing. It, it made ghosts not as scary, I guess you'd say. Yeah, yeah. It was a better explanation for something we didn't know, and they kind of just brought it into our world and even towards the end you know where they're scary they start you off with you know slimer like the first and even the most famous i mean remember we were kids they had cartoons and then so people got slimer shirts and he wasn't he was supposed to be a ghost but he was the it was like casper but messy you know what i mean he was (laughs) funny everybody wanted to be him or hang out with him he would have been a real cool like ghost pet i guess you'd say but I, I just, yeah, I just remember it was like, it was almost like an adventure that four friends can get into. It was like the first one of those films. It wasn't with kids, but it was just like a bunch of dudes getting in a little over their head and then just trying to backtrack. And then when everybody thinks these four friends are just weird and mm-hmm. the misfit. Um, almost, yeah, and almost the problem, it turns out that, hey, we really needed those guys. We should have took them seriously, and they're actually the answer. Yeah, I think I think you're you're onto something with the the, the whole kind of supernatural element. Because I remember the movie Poltergeist came out uh, came out a couple years before this movie, or maybe just a year before this movie. And I remember being petrified with Poltergeist, but Ghostbusters allowed me to really kind of uh, be okay with supernatural elements and not be totally scared about it. And it can, you know, you could have fun with it. And uh, I think uh, Slimer is a, a perfect example. Like you were saying, it was after after the movie was released, it became Slimer became this character that everyone had to either buy the toy or buy the T-shirt and lunchbox you know. man. I, think <laughs> yeah, I had like a lunchbox for sure. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's 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 so I think that's was the appeal for a young person who watched the, you know, in 1984, watched Ghostbusters. It was something about that 
the supernatural and the comedy. And it was a kind of a this lighthearted, fun movie about overcoming the odds and also being a misfit and also about kind of, um, you know, just believing in your friends, I guess. And, uh, and it also, it, it was kind of like really funny too. Come in, Ray. Pittman, I saw it, I saw it, I saw it. It's right here, Ray. It's looking at me. He's an ugly little spud, isn't he? I think he can hear you, Ray. Don't move. It won't hurt you. Slime me. Yeah, I'm wondering if the whole marketing aspect to children afterwards had to totally be like just by chance. There's no way they're like, okay, we're gonna make millions off of Slimer lunch pails and all these cartoons. It had to be just a reaction that they saw kids loved it too. Yeah, I think because it had a, such a strong reaction to families i think that they 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 came to the realization that this could be marketable and you know and obviously that kind of icon that 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 ghost you know the 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 red oh yeah the logo yeah yeah, that is like i remember that t-shirt everyone had that t-shirt you know dude not even not just like you could see some kid in nigeria (laughs) and he's got the ghost you know what i mean yeah it was everywhere it was everywhere and I, i even i had it probably a black t-shirt with that logo on yeah yeah it was so it was like kind of uh, undeniable the, the 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 marketing of the of the movie and um but l- let me just say that that you know ghostbusters came out in 1984 this was a big year in film uh it was probably i would say probably the best year in film for for the last 40 years i mean and and Ghostbusters made a ton of money. It was number two that year. It beat everyone except Beverly Hills Cop, which was number one, and that starred Eddie Murphy, who was kind of the biggest comedy or uh, comedian at the time. He was, and then he was at at the height of his 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 powers at that time. But in the same year, you had Indiana Jones, The Temple of Doom. You had Gremlins. You had Karate Kid. You had Police Academy. You had Footloose. You had uh, Romancing the Stone, Splash. I mean, the list kind of goes on. And when when Ghostbusters was released, uh, Indiana Jones: The Temple of Doom was like released two weeks before it. Uh, Ghostbusters came out on June eighth, and it was also the same week Gremlins came out, and it still kind of beat those two blockbusters, you know. And it, it, that says a lot. That just says a lot about the prop po- uh, the popularity of the film. Mm-hmm. The only problem I have. Is that you're so far off on that date? 1987 was the greatest year. 1987. Oh yeah, dude. I've 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 researched this for years. <laughs> and it is, dude. I swear, it's got the greatest of all the movies. I'm trying to look right here, like over the top. <laughs> yeah, yes. It's got over the top. <laughs> uh, now I'm trying to look. I because no, I've seen it before where I've just been. I think Spaceballs came out, Predator, uh, Beverly Hills Cop 2, Untouchables, uh, Full Metal Jacket, Inner Space, Adventures in Babysitting. Oh, yeah. I mean, like La Bamba, Summer School, The Lost Boys, The First Stakeout, <laughs> Masters of the Universe, 
Can't Buy Me Love, Monster Squad, Dirty Dancing, huh? Born in East L.A. Yeah, it's uh, 80s had a couple great years of film, and I think... Uh, 87. <laughs> maybe we should do a feature episode where we, we talk about... I it. wanted to do one of just 1987, man. This <laughs> thing is amazing. Well, 84 is no slouch. I mean... Uh, uh, oh, yeah, it's a great year. Yeah. Oh. It's kind of like weird because now... You get like two movies a year, maybe that are worth talking about. Yeah, or but it, back then there was like a hundred. You would live in the movie theater if you wanted to watch all those. Some of the movies that come out recently, they do, they have, uh, they, they come out and, and they make a big splash, but they don't retain. You know, they don't like maintain in our memories as as like the films from the eighties and nineties. They kind of instantly we instantly forget them in, in a lot of ways. Um, yeah, it was good, and then. Maybe um, it's not even that it's it's not even like a personal choice. It's like you'll even stop seeing commercials. You know what I mean? Right. Like if it's once it's got it's like two weeks out in the theater, it's like boom, we're just push the next the next thing we want to try to get people to buy. Yeah, I mean, also there's a lot of competition from the streaming services, and we got a lot more TV this nowadays than ever. Where you know, I think in the 80s and 90s is, you know, if you wanted quality entertainment, you would go to the movie theaters. Not, not, and well, not to say that like TV was pretty bad back then, but it didn't have the same effect, I guess. Yeah, it wasn't a big deal. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like you got with your friends and now oh, let's go watch TV. And so you went with your friends because you guys are going to go to the movies. And you know what I mean? During the summer, like if you can get like two bucks out of your mom. Mm-hmm. You go down to the cheap, you know, cheap theaters. Yeah, meet up with some, your friends. It was something very special about going to the movie theaters back then. Just, uh, just to go to the movie theaters was part of the escapism. Well, and for us too, because living in Southern California, dude, you got out of the heat, man. Oh, I get the air conditioning. The air yeah. conditioning. Yeah. We sit there all day. <laughs> They're like, "Are you guys gonna leave?" We go, "No." <sighs> Technically, this ticket right here, I could sit here and watch the same movie all day. Uh, let's talk about. When's the last time you saw Ghostbusters? Obviously, we we both saw it recently for this episode. But uh, what was like the last time you really saw this movie? My, it's so funny because my kids really got into it, mm-hmm. and they were like maybe four, five, five, six. It was kind of like their breakthrough movie where they actually had a movie that was like a, an adult movie that it was about something scary to them, which was ghosts. But they were tough enough to watch it, and so if they were six or seven. That's going about seven, eight years ago. Just sitting with him watching it. And I remember sitting with him watching it. It was my first time since I was a kid. So it's kind of like I got to see it again for the first time with them. Mm -hmm. And I remember getting a lot more out of it. Because I think as a kid, I was just waiting for the next Slimer. Or waiting for the next like punchline or goof line. So I remember getting a lot more out of the storyline. A lot more background because I, I dude if i was a kid and i watched it i didn't know they, they were in college you know what i mean i i didn't know any of that stuff i was just waiting you know it was just kind of like they were talking i didn't right i didn't pick up on that part and where they got kicked out and they had to find their own place and get their own funding and then i mean especially being older now and then i just when i watch it um Recently, recently, I just realized that, like, there's the whole, he took out a third mortgage on his house. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so there was a lot more subtext than you pick up when you're a kid. And I picked that up the second time around, and I remember, like, wow, you know, not just was it entertaining as a kid, but it was a, it was very in-depth and very, 
it had a lot more substance to it than I remember. But I mean, I really liked it. Yeah, I think it really talks to like kind of the the blue collar worker who was trying to start his own business or something like that. I think that's what makes this movie, you know, when I when I rewatch it for the, you know, recently, that's kind of what I got out of it like that yeah, this movie is really talking about kind of the working class or something like that, you know, which is pretty common for for the for 80s movies. I think they were more focused on the working class than say these recent movies. I think that's what I think that's what was um good about the mashup of the characters because you had within their personalities you know what i mean you had like the pure science guy one was pure just goofing off and like making money aspect and then dan Aykroyd's character maybe was kind of rode in the middle Mm -hmm. but that way you didn't need one guy that had to go through all these things or have all these different thoughts so it's kind of like you know what i mean so it's like bill murray his character make money get chicks you know what i mean and then uh, right uh, um Ackroyd, he was just like the pure trying to catch the guy or trying to catch. try to see and prove that they're out there yeah yeah catch the ghost see yeah catch like the ghost. i think you know bill murray as peter vinkman he is kind of more the skeptic and more kind of the snarky sidekick or and although he is i i would say that he is written in a way that he's supposed to be the lead actor in the in the movie where Dan Aykroyd is playing Ray Stans who is more kind of the the kid like guy he he's more uh, enthusiastic with ghosts and and you got Harold Ramis who's Egon Spangler and he is like kind of like Mr. Spock of this trio he is more- so, yeah he's the most like he's almost he's almost like not from this world you know what I mean <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, and that's I think that's a perfect kind of combination. I think what really what when I what I took from from rewatching this movie again was that the comedy is there to develop the character. It's not there to make it's like the movie doesn't revolve around the comedy. The comedy is there to really uh add these new flavors to the character. What do you think, Egon? I think this building should be condemned. There's serious metal fatigue in all the load-bearing members. The wiring is substandard. It's completely inadequate for our power needs. And the neighborhood is like a demilitarized zone. Hey, does this pole still work? Wow, this place is great. When can we move in? You've got to try this pole. I'm going to get my stuff. Hey, we should stay here tonight. Sleep here, you know, to try it out. I think we'll take it. Good. Like you said, them when they came together, it, that was almost magical. You know what I mean? Just their their actual acting styles, their comedy styles mixed with their character um character traits was awesome. Yeah, I think the main leads, Bill Murray, Dan Aykroyd, Harold Ramis, it's it, they're kind of like gears in a clock, gears inside of cl- a clock, where they all kind of fit perfectly together to make it work, right? It, and I think everyone brings a different type of spice to make this kind of delicious gumbo of comedy. And I include, you know, director Ivan Reitman in it, in that, and I also, you know, include the rest of the cast. I think 
this 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 might be the a movie with the with the perfect cast. And I think I can't really think of anyone I can't really think of one person who doesn't belong in, in this film. I think or that it, you could swap out. You couldn't Right. I don't yeah. Nobody. Yeah, I think and 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 I can't really think of anyone who doesn't add something to this, you know, comedic concoction. It really is a like the perfect cast. It's 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 a brilliant 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 work of casting. Yeah, I mean besides those 3, there's there's like four more. There's Sigourney Weaver, Rick yeah. Moranis, Annie Potts and Ernie Hudson. But even those four, I'm not sure if you could swap out. I mean, Annie Potts was hilarious. Hilarious. The way she, yeah, she was all into Egon. Mm-hmm. The way she sarcastically answers the phone and you couldn't beat that. Then Sigourney, she was great because she she had to seem like she was kind of, um, what would you say, entertaining Peter Bill Murray's f- humor. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Peter's humor. But at the same time, very standoffish and doesn't believe. She's the one that saw her, her, um, the universe in her fridge. She's the one that saw the eggs <laughs> yeah. cooking. And she is clearly the one that doesn't believe in it the most. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and yeah, she's, yeah. She's seen it firsthand. And it's so funny because, uh, sorry, Bill Murray, most of the time, the movie, I don't think he believes everybody. Like, he probably thinks Dan, or he probably thinks Ray and Egon are crazy too until he runs into Slimer. You know what I mean? Oh, so it's yeah. like, yeah, because he's, remember when he's doing the test in the beginning? He's just screwing around. He's not even trying to see if any of that's real. Yeah, he's He just wants to keep shocking the guy. <laughs> he's definitely someone who is this layback. He's like this layback kind of person who kind of skates through life. But then there's like scenes in the movie where he, where we see that he actually does take some of this stuff seriously. And he does kind of, you know... He he does kind of is interested in this stuff. I mean, I, I, like that scene where he finds Dana, uh, Sigourney Weaver's character, who's possessed by uh, a, a Gozer, and she's like, you know, coming on to him, and he doesn't take advantage of that. He kind of goes, "Where's Dana? I want to talk to Dana." And then you kind of see this moment where the character kind of believes what's going on, and. Yeah. And he is kind of... But he's he, in a moral he, dilemma. <laughs> he does have a moral dilemma, but you can see like his t- scientific brain working in that moment. And then he actually kind of does believe this stuff. And he does f- have feelings for Dana. And it's not just kind of... Yeah, because later he calls back and he knocked her out instead of took advantage of her. Yeah, yeah. He pumped her with like some Thorazine or something. But I, that part that part cracks me up though, because I just remember from watching it with, he knocks on the door and she answers. She says to see the gatekeeper. He's like, nope. And she closes the door. So he waits a call. <laughs> Hello. That's a different look for you, isn't it? Are you the key master? Not that I know of. Are you the key master? Yes. I'm a friend of his. He told me to meet him here. But you know, dude, that's you can only have that with Bill Murray. The guy's a genius. Let's talk about Bill Murray in this film because oh. I think he is We could do like four podcasts on just <laughs> Bill Murray. I think we eventually have to like talk about uh, uh Bill Murray, his career, because I think his prime years were were in the eighties and nineties, and I think but he's got a resurgence, man. Like he does, he does. And he he kind of almost always 
slips away and then he like rides that line mm-hmm. and then he skates right back in and then everybody's just blown away by him again and then he kind of goes into the shadows again and then <laughs> but i mean the, the his quirkiness you'd figure was something that like you know how they have the chivon shirts where they use him for the um he's got the like um like play hard and chive on or whatever, but it's always his like face. They use his face for the logo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like now that's trendy, but it's like a lot of people just think it's trendy, and I feel bad for the people that don't know him. Mm. But when you you look up his life and the way he does things, that's like the coolest mofo. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like to be like where uh, I watched that documentary where he's only got. He's got one phone number. He doesn't have, you don't reach his agent. You kind of leave a message. Yeah, and then yeah. if he hears it, he might show up on the day that they're filming. You know what I mean? It's one of yeah. those deals. And then it's, it really started with Ghostbusters. I mean, or at least he always been like this because I think Ivan Reitman has said that he wasn't sure that Bill Murray was going to show up on the set. And it really, yeah, I think they said like half an hour before all of a sudden someone noticed him in the crowd drinking coffee <laughs> because he hadn't responded to anything. He didn't go yeah. through read through or something. It was it was hilarious. Yeah, he has kind of built this myth around him where he is kind of almost like, you know, Sasquatch or he's he's like kind of this mythical character. Yet it's only a miracle if he shows up or not. He's like a a unicorn and I've heard the stories about Central Park where he plays peekaboo with people. <laughs> Have you heard that one? And then he he says they they like finally he the game's over and he they turn around and it's Bill Murray and he tells them, "You know, the best part is no one's ever going to believe you. <laughs> he walks away. And it's true. You can't tell someone someone came behind me playing peekaboo and I turned around as Bill Murray. Because no one's going to believe you, so you know it's got to be true because it seems like something he would do. And yeah, you hear these stories that he just will appear in house parties in, nowhere, yeah. you know, in Chicago somewhere. And, and he's, he's helping do dishes at the end of the night. You know yeah. I mean? This guy's awesome. <laughs> Uh, let's talk about his, you know, Peter Vinkman character. I think this was written for him. It was certainly written. He has like some of the great one-liners in the film, and he brings this kind of snarkiness to the to the movie. Uh, initially, this was supposed to be for John uh, Belushi, mm-hmm. but he passed away, drug overdose, obviously. And then, and, and then I'm not sure. And I love him, but yeah. I'm not sure how. That would have been a, a it, would, it would be a way totally, different movie, totally different movie. It would be even more physical, right? I think John yeah. Belushi is such a physical ca- character that I would he would have to bring that kind of physicality to this to this movie, and I think this would have, that would have been more kind of more slapstick. I think, and, and yeah, it, I, I think it kind of might have killed it a little. Yeah, I mean, because th- you 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 need that straight, you need the funny to the straight face. You know what I mean? But it, yeah. there's there's a way that way that murray does it that nobody else does it yeah it, it's it, you know murray brings this dry dead pan humor where john belushi brings this kind of slapstick comedy and i think if he was cast it this ghostbusters could have been more similar to the blues brothers and uh where it's just kind of more kind of uh more wacky i guess but they you know they say that john belushi was the inspiration for for slimer and slimer <laughs> yeah, <laughs> see that particularly his performance in animal house where he kind of eats everything it is a depression of a zit yeah yeah so uh so he is sp- spiritually he's in the movie 
but uh, and I think he works at Slimer more than anything else. But um, yeah, I think he would definitely bring a different dynamic if he was if he didn't die and he was cast in this film. Bill Murray brings this kind of really kind of really kind of snarky common man type of uh, dynamic to the movie. Okay, this is whenever I think of Bill Murray, he's on a pedestal. Mm-hmm. The 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 traits. The only thing I could almost the only person I could almost compare him to is um a Michael Keaton. It's it's weird because of the range and Keaton can be hilarious and then turn it off on a dime. Yeah. And kind of it but in the same role. You know what I mean? It's like those are the only two people that do it for me. I could I could think you're hilarious. I could even think you're a crazy psycho. And then I could think that you're <laughs> funny and serious and i mean it's got to be like to play all those it's 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 damn near impossible but those are the only two people i could do it and i love keaton but i put i put murray first number one of course yeah. but whatever i think of bill murray i think of um always is groundhog's day yeah and he relived the same day i know it's a story but every day he had to be something different and had to be he's just changing up every day but there's the part where the insurance salesman wants to sell him insurance <laughs> yeah yeah and then he hugs him and he goes oh i'm so lonely what are you doing later and he's like i'm going to work he's like, can you call in sick <laughs> like, dude, there's no way somebody wrote that you know what i mean i don't that that's my only problem with bill murray and it's not even a problem it's when he's hilarious i don't know what's him and what's script because it's always funny yeah he is a natural funny man and it's rare. I mean, it's rare to have someone who's just naturally funny. I mean, there's there's great comedians who could read off a line like like no one no one else. But then there's other comedians who are just naturally funny. And Bill Murray is someone who's just naturally funny. I think that's even rarer for a comedian. Yeah, it's like when you find like when you're really into a, a comic per se, mm-hmm. and then you find out that somebody else writes their jokes. It's like, damn, was he funny or is the joke funny? You know what I mean? but for him it's him yeah 100 him yeah there's no there's no question Uh, i think people automatically knows that bill you know he lights up the the room and i think that's why people if they see him in a house party somewhere in chicago you know he he takes over the party um and he kind of takes over this movie you know and that's not to that's not to say that dan Aykroyd is some slouch or even harold ramos is is not you know a slouch either or slash Eider, it's 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 to say that he is just there's something very magical about Bill Murray, and, you know, and this combination of these three men are is just kind of I don't I don't think it will ever happen again. Yeah, and I know what you're saying about the it's like it's an overshine, but it's not like they were stuck in shadows, so it wasn't like he shined so bright that Aykroyd and them are in his shadow. It's just that. They were all bright. He was just a little brighter. <laughs> and it's like, he was like the tip, I guess, of the light bulb. And they're just, they're part of the shine around it. But, yeah, I mean, I, there's no way that they would say, oh, you know, he stole the movie and we should have cut him. No way. There's there's no there's no Ghostbusters without him. It's mm-hmm. impossible. Everything was fine with our system until the power grid was shut off by Dickless here. They caused an explosion. Is this true? Yes, it's true. This man has no dick. Jesus! Oh, hey, no, 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 no. All right, all 
right, all right. Well, that's what I heard. What other kind of uh, insight did you get from rewatching Ghostbusters again? I, I, I got to be honest. I think there was a lot of lines that I would say randomly as a kid that I did not know came from this. Oh, okay. Like, <laughs> I just picked it up on it. I just picked it. I just picked up on it last night. Like, forever when something would happen, like, my brother would drop, like, his plate or something, I would always say to myself, and the flowers are still standing. <laughs> and then I realized last night that when they were first getting Slimer, when he yanks the, the, the sheet, he's like, oh, he's yeah. going to do this. And everything falls. And then in the background, because they cut scene. Yeah, yeah. So it's just audio. Yeah, you just hear him in the background. And the flowers are still standing. Yeah. Like, holy crap, dude, that's where I get that from. You know what I mean? Or the, he's he's sliding me. Or, uh, you know what's funny? Uh, what I really... When I watched it again, I remember the part that my kids had to, like, buff up to. Like, like they started, like, covering their eyes. It's that opening scene in the library. They really got scared with the books and the, the index cards flying out. Oh, when yeah, the yeah. old lady was down there. I don't know, because... Dude, to me, whenever I see movies and they've got the old school libraries, and it's especially the ones with the damn automatic lights, it's the columns. It's almost like you're in a maze, but you're not in a maze. That's a good and point, you're like, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and you're like in the basement, and you're they're always alone. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's always it's a perfect setup for something scary. Yeah. And yeah, that was always their scene. And then I think they have a couple apparitions that show up down there, too, that scare the old lady. And I forgot how scary that would be if you were a kid again. And so when I was watching, I was like, you know what? This would be for a little, little, little kid. This would be scary for a preteen. This is the movie where you showed that you weren't afraid anymore. Mm. So it's almost, I don't think they did it on purpose, but it hit for me. I remember it hitting, it hitting a genre in my life where it's like, I'm going from, this is still cool to I'm going to be cool older. You know what I mean? Does it make sense, kind of? Yeah, it does. Like, it took me from, like, a little kid to, like, a medium kid. And a middle-aged kid. I think, you know, in every stage of your life, when you watch a movie, it your perspective changes. And so, if you're watching Ghostbusters, when we watched Ghostbusters, when we were, like, seven and eight... It was totally. It's totally different from watching it when you're in teen, you know, in your teen years, and or even watching it now when we're, you know, up there. Uh, and I think rewatching it again recently, you kind of, I, I at least I got all the kind of dry humor. You know, I was really shocked that this movie held up. I thought this movie was. I thought I was going to be embarrassed by it a little bit. I go, oh, maybe it's not going to be as great as I remembered, but it, it had me like laughing out loud. I mean, it really had me kind of, Oh shit. This is, this is, was very, this is actually a very funny movie. And, and I think it, it's, and it's a different type of comedy that it's not, it's not, it's a comedy that's not broad. It's, it's, it, they're using these one liners that to emphasize a, a funny scene or emphasize a scene really. Cause I like, Think of that one scene where Annie Potts playing Janine. She goes, uh, the the police knocks on her door, and she comes out going picking up or dropping off. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's a funny line. That's a funny it written is. line. Yeah, and it's not. It's not. It's not like a sketch. It's not like an uh, SNL sketch where it's like, how awkward can I make this se- this sequence or this you know scenario? It's really just about how funny can I make this line? 
and she kills it. But the part you're talking about, it just reminds me because then she goes and she gets um, she gets Egon, and then he's just he's got that little meter thing, and it just goes <laughs> right up to like maximum, and then he's like, "Let's get him inside," and she says something, and she like said, "Well, that something about won't it hurt him." Or she's like, I don't think he's human. <laughs> yeah, he, she goes, you're such a uh, a great humanitarian. Oh, yeah. and he, and he goes, uh, I don't think he's human. <laughs> yeah, that's another great line too. You know, like yeah. that's a play on the words. You know, and uh, I think the really the only person who may be more kind of that typical cartoonish character was Rick Moranis, but he is so funny in the movie, and he brings it. Yeah, and I'm a, trying to, what has he done up to that point? Oh, just kind of. I think just the 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 uh, the Canadian sketch show yeah, SCTV. Mm-hmm. Okay, SCTV. I was gonna say, yeah, I don't think he did anything big in the states. He was just that the moose port or the moose thing with the the guy from Wendy's. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> whatever. The, the same name as the guy from Wendy's. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think he's he's definitely was someone who was uh, part of that scene that it's com- the comedy sketch scene. With Second City, with SNL, with, uh, you know, everyone kind of came from Natural, no, National Lampoon, the magazine. Oh. You know, National Lampoon was this magazine in in the 70s that dealt with counterculture satire. And it it was like kind of the epic center of, of all the comedies that eventually would become SNL, become SCTV and, and, and you know, Second City from, from Chicago. And uh, and obviously, Na- National Lampoon would do the movies like uh, Animal House and um, and uh, Vacation. Vacation, yeah. yeah. And John Hughes came from uh, a National Lampoon, and, and and they did a radio show. And they, you know, Bill Murray's from there. Uh, uh, Harold Ramis is from there. Ivan Reitman's from there. He directed a lot. So they're of all those- Canadian. Um, <laughs> a lot of them are, uh, but no, Bill Murray is I think from. Actually, some of them are, yeah. I mean, I, Ivan Reitman is Canadian. Bill Murray is a Chicago guy. I think Ramis is a Chicago guy. Dan Aykroyd is a Canadian. Rick Moranis is definitely a Canadian. Canadian. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, some of the John, John Belusi started there, but he, I think he's a Chicago guy or maybe a New York guy. Um, yeah. I mean, if that's where they had to go to get exposure, you know what I mean? It makes sense. Yeah, it's like it was all it was all kind of the epic center of this great explosion of comedy that will they would become the filmmakers who made the comedies of the 80s and 90s. John Candy's John Candy is another one who's who comes from that that same circle. And I I hope we could do a a future episode about just John Candy cuz I think he he I hope people don't forget about him cuz he's just a genius comedian. Dude, he's the He's the first time the saying too soon was real. Yeah. 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 He was way too soon. That guy. I mean, talk about a genius. That guy. I mean, there was no way. I mean, everybody wants to be like, oh, like he was like the first uh, Farley. But no, 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 no. No, 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 no. If anything, Farley was uh, not not sad, but Farley, he led the way for some like a. A bigger framed, I guess you'd say, actor. <laughs> but no, I mean, nobody did it like Candy, man. Candy was, Candy's on his own level. There's, there's no, you can't touch Candy. And they originally wanted John Candy for the, the Rick Moranis role. John Candy uh, worked with Ivan Reitman on Stripes. 
And, oh, yeah. And the, he wanted him to play Louis Tully. And he goes, uh, I want I want to do a German accent and I want to, I want the character <laughs> to have dogs. And they're like, I, I don't think that's, I don't know if that, that might be too confusing because he's late. He later, he turns into a dog. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so he goes, I don't know. He, he didn't like, he didn't really get the script and they go, okay, I, I guess we're just go with someone else. And they immediately went with Rick Moranis and he, Rick Moranis goes, I love this script. Tell John, thank you for not, not taking, not accepting the role. <laughs> And that's how Rick Moranis got the job, and I think he actually kills this this little tiny role. No, he does, yeah. and I'm I'm hoping that that's what gave him his big, um, what do you call it? His big uh, break, ex- exposure. Yeah. yeah, because after this, I mean, he went on a pretty good run, man. Yeah. Like Spaceballs, everything that he did, Honey, and he's, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, Honey, do huge that one. Most of our genre and kids, my little brother, like the, that was his favorite movie forever. Yeah. But um, he is actually so much smarter than a lot of his roles. You know, it kills me because then you'll see him do something like where it's not a slapstick or he's not running around the same character. Like even when you see him in um, what's it, the little giants opposite of Ed O'Neill mm-hmm. where they're they coach the football. Like it's not a slapsticky of a role. He's very serious. It's just like. He's got a better range than everybody gave him credit for. Or, or that movie, uh, My Blue Heaven. Oh, uh, dude, my mom <laughs> drug us to the movie theater like five times to watch, I think. <laughs> she likes the music, dude. Being Puerto Rican, she loves that merengue. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, yeah, his range is awesome. He's a great guy. Yeah, and it's 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 really surprising that he kind of retired from the business well, so early. That was his person, personal, that was that personal issue with his wife getting sick. Mm-hmm. But you got to give him, I mean, yeah, he, he stopped it all to take care of her. Which just goes to show you what a great guy this guy is. I mean, it's not about fame. It's not about money. It's really about family. Yeah, he's legit. Like, yeah. he understands it's at, at, at a certain point, he's making everybody happy, but he has to take care of his family. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, who's going to, were you going to yell at him on the street for stopping making movies when you find out like his wife was sick and he was taking care of his kids? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think think he is making a comeback though with Honey, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, the TV series. I, I believe. Yeah, I I think maybe, and he was in something else recently too, because I remember I was like, oh great, I need to like. It sucks that he was out so long that there's going to be kind of like a genre that missed him. Uh Because I tell you what, the first time um, I saw Little Shop of Horrors was available, I think it was on Amazon or Netflix to watch. I put it in, and my daughter was blown away. Oh, wow. Because she loves singing and dancing. And, I mean, she wasn't, like, five. She was, like, <laughs> 11. You know what I mean? Yeah. And she was walking through the house, suddenly Seymour. You know what I mean? <laughs> she, dude, she got into it. But, I mean, think about it. He was so good at that, right? Yeah. So good. Like, that was, like, a big I'm the starring role kind of deal. Yeah. I mean, and... and, and... Particularly in this film, I love the fact that he is always get he always gets locked out of his apartment, <laughs> and that's like the running gag in the whole whole throughout the movie, and it cracks me up every time. And he's a guy who doesn't get any respect throughout the whole guy, whole movie. It's like Dude, so funny, but we against, feel for this character so much because he's the way he's, he's against. 
the glass though at the oh. at the restaurant. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And everybody even stops to look and he screams and then instantly they go back to what they were doing. Yeah. Like how shitty is that, dude? That's what that that's... cracked me up so much. Nice doggy. Cute little pooch. Maybe I got a milk bone. That's the magic of the movie because it really is taught. It's it's really about these, these, you know, these exterminators, these blue collar exterminators who are forced to enter in these high society communities. That's what's like what's really about you know that's what's so brilliant about this movie. It's really kind of going back to some of the classic comedies of 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 Buster Keaton or or Charlie Chaplin because they they used to always play the little guy or the common guy, and I think what Bill Murray and Dan Wright and Harold Ramis is doing is like they're they're paying they're paying homage to those those, those famous comedy acts because it's it's a little bit like. Chaplin. It's a little bit like Three Stooges. It's a little bit of the Marx Brothers, Abbott and Costello, and what they have in common with these these comedies is that it's about the common guy going up against this high society. And in Ghostbusters, it's really about these Ghostbusters who are looked as these exterminators who are entering in this kind of high society of New York. And they don't belong there or they look they're looked down upon. And I think that scene with Rick Moranis crying because like, he's getting, you know, essentially we think he's getting killed and all the high society just stop and they go back to eating like they don't care about the, you know, the meek or poor people or whatever or the simple person. And I think that's what makes this, you know, the Ghostbusters so timeless. And I, I love the, I, the, I love the other scene with Sigourney Weaver when he goes, when she's walking in the hallway and he, she, he goes, Hey, you know, I, I'm throwing a party and Dana Barrett, the character that she plays, she goes, well, I'm, I'm going on a date later. He goes, Oh, you're, you're, you're dating someone. You made a date tonight? Well, I, I, I'm sorry, Louis, I forgot. Oh, that's okay. You can bring him along. All right, maybe we'll stop by, okay? That's great. I'll tell everybody you're coming. We're going to play Twister. We're going to do some break dancing. Hey, hey, let me in. It's Louis. Somebody let me in. It's such a kind of warm character, even though everyone shits on him. <laughs> you know, it's yeah, such he a, never gives up. He never loses his smile. Or yeah, he's such a, just such a warm character that I think that's what Rick Moranis brings to to the movie. You know, what's weird when you were starting to talk about the the class difference. I thought you were gonna. I, I was gonna say if you're, I thought you were gonna go into depth into this movie as far as the. The fact that, like, when you think about ghosts, spirits, supernatural, it's more of a poverty thing, a lower class thing, uh, less money, like a way of thinking. Like, when you go, like, down to Louisiana, like, the bayou, stuff like that, mm -hmm. they have the voodoo, the hoodoo, but that's always, like, you know, the poorest of the region. 
Like when you're poor, oh, it's yeah. almost like you're more apt to believe in spiritual stuff or ghost stuff. And then like the rich people, even like through time, it's always like, like they would think that's more like of a simple, you know, simple like, thinking, yeah. simple thinking or something like that. Like I'm, I'm a better class. So I'm thinking more scientifically. I don't believe in those things. It's like, so if there was a way, if, if basically if being haunted was a rich or a poor thing, it would be a poor thing. You know what I mean? Uh, maybe, maybe that's something to it. I was, I was just more thinking about kind of the classic co- comedy routines and acts. Oh, yeah. yeah. Cause like, I mean, like Charlie Chaplin, you know, all his movies were, he, he is playing like a, a worker or a common worker. And it's always, I think his movies are always about the authority figure versus the common worker. And I think that's what's, what's comedy is, you know, you know co- great comedy is when you punch up, right? Exactly. And, and I think that's what this movie is trying to do. It's like, they're making a joke or they're lampooning the high society of New York. I think, you know, when I rewatched this movie again, the one character I didn't really, I didn't really appreciate was the the Walter Peck, the EPA um, inspector, oh, yeah. and he is played by William Atherton, who is so great in this movie because you hate him. You hate him. He's like the bad <laughs> yeah. guy, and he's like he's kind of like the William Zapka of of uh. That, this, yeah, of, that time of, frame. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if, like William Zapka, of course, from uh, uh, the Karate Kid, and he's kind of forever known as the bad guy, asshole dude from Karate Kid. Just one of the guys. Just one of the guys. And yeah, back to school, and he's also so great in in Cobra Kai. You know, he he has come back in Cobra Kai, and it's funny because Cobra Kai they tried to show a different side of him where he's <laughs> he not that he was typecast, but he was kind of. He was made into what he is as opposed to just being that way. Yeah, and I like that they didn't try to change his character. He's still kind of a prick, you know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, he's he's like a like a prick with a heart of gold. <laughs> so the flip side of that, or maybe the adult version of that, is William Atherton, who is this bad guy in, 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 in Ghostbusters. And he also, we kind of remember him in the Die Hard films. And he also played this really prickly professor in real genius uh, acting opposite uh um val kilmer oh yeah, yeah. so he's kind of you know, he's a, he's like a, this other kind of great character actor and i you know that scene with him and and peter vinkman the bill murray's character where he's talking about uh you know can i see the storage facility where you keep all the ghosts and and bill murray's like no and and he goes why not, Mr. Vinkman? <laughs> and Bill, Bill Murray or Peter Vinkman goes, because, because you, you didn't did use, not use the, the magic, magic word. word. <laughs> and well, and the way he plays this, it's so perfect. He goes, what, what is, is the magic, magic word, Mr. Vinkman? Please. May I please see the storage facility, Mr. Vinkman? Why do you want to see the storage facility? Well, because I'm curious. I want to know more about what you do here. Frankly, there have been a lot of wild stories in the media, and we want to assess any possible environmental impact from your operation. For instance, the presence of noxious, possibly hazardous waste chemicals in your basement. Now, you either show me what is down there, or I come back with a court order. You go get a court order, and I'll sue your ass for wrongful prosecution. You can have it your way, Mr. Venkman. 
<laughs> he's such a prick. He's such a kind of arrogant <laughs> asshole. And it's like it's it, the way he plays it is so deliciously brilliant because he it, it, and that that this movie needs that. It needs this kind of uh, villain character. Yeah. This like yeah this upper class prick who has this kind of uh, what's it called? Uh, um, in oh, a, like superiority complex. Yeah, su- yeah, superiority complex. Yeah, because it cracks up because he goes in there. He has absolutely no idea <laughs> yeah. what anything is mm-hmm. when he goes in with the other guys, mm-hmm. and he's like, "Kill it!" You know, he turn it <laughs> off, and it's like everybody's trying to warn him about how bad it'll be, but he doesn't care. He's he's there's no there's no okay. Let's entertain a conversation. Let's see the pros and cons. It's just like, no, this is what I want to it, and. I, that's why I love that everything bad that happens technically is his fault from that point. <laughs> I think the the actor uh, William a- Atterton he's just so selfless in this role because he's really acting in the best interest of the movie. And I think it was, you know, look, no one wants to be remembered as the asshole or you know, in this case, d- the the dickless guy, <laughs> you know. Yeah. But he even the yeah. even the way he dresses, dude. The pinstripe. It's all snooty. Yeah, yeah but it's, it's not just a shirt and jacket. He's got to wear the goddamn um, uh, vest. You yeah, know what I mean? yeah. He, <laughs> has, like, he has the beard, and it's just perfectly. Yeah. It's perfect. It's a perfect character, and it's it's and the way he talks, it's so great. I, I and that's the thing I didn't r- realize how good it was. You know, only recently when yeah. doing the rewatch, it's just it was his performance particularly. It was the one that stood out. For me and it's such I'm not, a, I, I didn't even get it until right now when you were talking about it i gotta be honest i <laughs> I, I took i was one of the ones you're talking about i took it for granted yeah it's just so you're great, right like it's, this is such a great character yeah if you close your eyes and you think okay prick from the 80s <laughs> boom that's the guy that shows up man yeah it's uh it's ghostbusters a diehard and the real genius dude <laughs> yeah and you know we shouldn't. We should also point out Ernie Hudson. Ernie Hudson is so great in the movie too because he kind of represents us. He's our kind of. He's like our entry point into this movie. He kind of is the guy who just gets the job. Yeah, and he just got it because he was there. Yeah, and he like and he's they were tired. They walk in. They're like, he's applying for the job. Great, you got it. That's all they say to him. And they hand him the. They had him the traps. <laughs> I, supposedly, he had a bigger role in in the in the movie, and they cut down his role his role at the final stage of the script. But I think it's still an important character because he kind of we kind of live through his eyes because we're not para psychologists, you know. We don't have science degrees, but we are someone like Ernie Hudson's character, someone who's just looking for a job. Which makes us believe that we all could be Ghostbusters someday, especially if you're a kid watching this movie. And Ernie Hudson I mean, is that guy. And that totally makes sense, too, because you needed, you're right, you needed the link yeah. to normal. And then how, because you could watch it all you want, but you would never know what you would be like if all of a sudden you were thrown in as a Ghostbuster. Mm-hmm. Boom. That's it. And he has some like really great lines, you know, Winston in this movie. <laughs> he, he goes, I seen shit like that would make you white to you white. <laughs> I'm uh, Winston Zettimore, Yana. Look, I've only been with the company for a couple of weeks. But I got to tell you, these things are real. Since I joined these men, I have seen shit that'll turn you white. But that's the street smart stuff. Yeah, it is. It's yeah. also, you know, there's, you know, when they defeat the Stay Puff Marshmallow Man, 
you know, at the very end, he goes, I love this town. And it's like, it's he, the way he says it with the enthusiasm, it's like a perfect way kind of to end the movie. You know, it's like a, it's like kind of this uh, enthusiastic chant that he says. And you know, I, okay. When you're asking about like a favorite scene, let me, let me, let me throw my hat in the ring for the final scene when they're sitting on the top and they have to choose their destroyer, the one that they're going to fight. And everybody's like, just clear your mind. And yeah, yeah, yeah. It has been chosen. <laughs> I didn't pick anything. Did you pick anything? <laughs> and then you're just looking at Dan Aykroyd going, oh, shit. <laughs> that probably must be my favorite. Yeah, that, that like, awkward pause when everyone just yeah. turns to Dan Aykroyd and they turn to Ray. And like Ray goes, I, you know, I, I tried. I tried to clear my mind, but, you know, <laughs> just yeah. popped right in there. Look! No! It can't be. What is it? It can't be. What did you do, Ray? Oh, shit. It's the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man. That scene with the, with the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man, the first time we see him, it's so brilliant because it kind of reminds us of the, the kaiju films of Godzilla, right? Yeah. And it's like, and it, they're kind of making fun of Godzilla because everyone's, you know, the joke of God, those old Godzilla movies is like, it looks like a guy in a suit. And here yeah, we- And a model, scaled down model of the city, yeah. Yeah, and here we got like this, you know, suit. I mean, this is, this is supposed to be that way and it's still kind of like fun and terrorizing at the same time. It's like still- it's such a kind of uh, a wicked satire. Yeah, because there's nothing scary about State Puff Marshall, man, until <laughs> he's 50 stories tall and t- 100 tons. Yeah. That, is, that is classic. And you know what? I also, as an older person watching the film, mm-hmm. forgot to mention this. I did not know how good looking Sigourney Weaver was back in the day. Yeah. She's she is statuesque. Statuesque. Yeah. Because I'm a huge fan of the Alien franchise. I love Aliens. Probably my favorite sci-fi yeah, me too. movie. Me too. And she's good looking in that, but she's always fighting somebody. But in this one, she was supposed to be the romantic interest for Bill Murray. So she's always kind of, especially in the beginning, like dolled up. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I honestly, I forgot. And then when I first, when I did the rewatch actually last night and she came on screen, I was like, wow, she, and she's held up. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, but yeah. it's just, I forget how she could have been like the kick-ass girl in all the other movies and then how she was also the like love interest but yeah she can play them both and she brings a like a uh, a sophistication to this movie as well i mean she is like kind of a cosmopolitan type of woman you know but- yeah she's definitely in charge like she's yeah. brains she's not just like a like sexy she is like I'm going to make the rules. I know what I want. Mm-hmm. I'm in charge. It just so happens that I'm very good looking too. <laughs> I know her pain. <laughs> and as, as, as Peter Finkman says, oh, oh, and now she's a, oh, she's, now a, she's a dog. Now she's a dog. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I mean, it's like, you know, yeah, she brings us, like, like I said, she brings like a sophistication to the movie and she really kind of plays very well with Bill, with Bill Murray. I mean, they're, they're, they're banter together kind of makes these scenes very relatable and let's talk a little bit about ghostbusters too because their relationship kind of expands a little bit do you think that works in in ghostbusters 2 i kind of i think maybe they kind of lost a little bit of that in in ghostbusters 2 yeah because something happened where at the the end of the first one you assume they're together and the beginning of the second one 
they're on the splits. Right. I mean, she has a kid from another dude. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah, like, what's, what's your thoughts on Ghostbusters 2? I mean, a lot of people kind of didn't like it. It's I guess it doesn't really hold up, to, well, at least to to the original, but it's it, it still was a movie that we kind of enjoyed a lot. Yeah, I was telling you that that one I actually saw in the theater, and I think I was I was in sixth grade, and I, I kind of, we went as a group, like a bunch of boys and girls, and I used that to try to be like my first date, which I put the first moves on a chick. <laughs> and I just, I remember, because it was, I think it was one of the first movies I ever saw by myself. It had the rating. Oh, wow. Yeah, you know what I mean? So we got dropped off. It got, Bo- it got Bobby Brown on the soundtrack. <laughs> yeah, it's got, yeah. It's got Bobby, he was... He made, was a little he, ca- he made a little yeah a little cameo yeah he made a cameo yeah, yeah it yeah. had a bunch of cameos and uh it was i it's the first movie i remember them like seeing a commercial go oh i want to go see that mm-hmm. and then i didn't need my mom to want to go see it too mm-hmm. like she'd be like oh we'll just and it were sadly it was at a mall yeah and it was at the movie theater in the mall like i don't even know if they had i don't even know back then if they were amcs or not it was just like the mall the mall movie theater and i remember Watching it, there was like seven of us. Oh, wow. And I remember, yeah, and it was hilarious. We loved it. I think I, I related more to the comedy, maybe because I was older. Mm-hmm. I got more of it. I enjoyed the story more. Um, I thought, I think I got more of the, the puns and the jokes that I didn't get when I was a kid. So the whole movie, it wasn't... Like when you're a kid, you watch a movie, but there's got to be times you space out when you're not getting stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But then, yeah, when you get older and you start to watch movies, you're picking up on everything. So it's almost like it's a lot more work when you're older when you watch a movie. And I think that was this was the first one where it was kind of like if the kids next to me were talking, you know, my friends, I'm like, shut up, dude. Like, <laughs> you know, don't ask me later what they were talking about because you screwed it up right here. And I, I just remember liking it from beginning to end more and i believe even after the i saw in the movie theater like throughout historically i watched that one more often than i i rewatched the first one yeah i think that it's something it it does hold a special part in our hearts i think it, it we still quote from it i remember uh you know that scene where where bill murray's playing you know he has the photographer he's taking photos of vigo the painting the portrait of painting and he goes uh give it come on give me more give me more you know like he's playing he's playing like a he's doing like a fashion photography yeah. thing and he ends it with uh, um what's the line uh i've worked what was the line i've worked with, uh, I've worked with better but not many <laughs> <laughs> yeah and so there, there's really some really cool quotes and and memorable parts of it I I guess you know looking back I guess you know the original Ghostbusters is probably a better film but Ghostbusters two is still you know it's something very special is because and maybe it's just for our particular age group because we seen it when we were you know we were the perfect age for it yeah it was like more geared for our I I like I I think I was telling you uh, off cast. That'll be my term for not on the podcast. <laughs> um, I, it could have been like a marketing thing too. They saw how many kids were into just the the pop culture of it, the the lunch boxes and the stickers and the backpacks. So why not gear the second one to it? Oh, definitely. And I think I think Carol Ramis and Dan Aykroyd said, you know, it, it this is was much more for for families, and maybe that's the reason why it didn't do well because uh, you know. 
it's it was I think it came out in 1989, and I think once we hit 90s, people were looking for more darker comedies or darker films. And well, I think, I, yeah, I think that's why it didn't really catch on to a bigger audience. But I think, I think the people who did see the movie love that movie wholeheartedly. Yeah, and it's kind of like the thing I've always, always, always hated about movies was critics, and I know that's. <laughs> It's but it's just changed. Critics used to be a job, so you had to watch every movie. So if you were not into a specific type of movie or a genre, you had to convince yourself that you can still be like uh, even. You know what I mean? You, you wouldn't go into it with any kind of bias, right? Like I will only like I will listen to a friend that's watched a movie before anything else, because me and that friend we like the same kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. And I think what's what's so fun growing up in the 80s and 90s and films became more popular to, you know, mass audience. I think it was, you know, everyone in our age group, everyone in our school, everyone in our, you know, community or our, our neighborhoods went to the movies. It was a common thing. And, and the fun thing about that was that you get to hear uh, other kids' point of views or their, their, like, what they saw, and you get their recommendations, and that was the fun of it. You know, like, I heard this movie's good because so-and-so saw it the other day. Let's go let's go check it out, you know? And, yeah, those, and those were always the best ones. Yeah, that was the fun of it, recommending something to other our friends. Oh, yeah, and, dude, and you know what's funny is, I, do you ever remember Blockbuster, of course? Yeah, but remember asking the guy like, "Hey, man, is this any good?" <laughs> yeah, because yeah. the guy he worked there, but he talked to everybody that, "Hey, how's it going? Oh, this movie looks good." So he's been there so long that he put it in and watched it while he was working, or he's seen a bunch of people that have rented it, probably asked them, so they were actually becoming pretty good sources of whether or not a movie was going to be good. Yeah, their criticism is just as valid as the guy who wrote in the paper. You know, yeah, yeah so or maybe more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's the thing about this podcast, and that's what's so, you know, at least for me, it's it, it, uh, this gives me a purpose to rewatch some of these movies that I haven't seen for for forever, and I think the reason I haven't seen these movies is because I don't watch live TV anymore. You know, I I, I have cut the cords, as they say. I only have like maybe Netflix and Hulu, and of course Amazon Prime, and. Uh, and when I did have like cable TV or actually I had direct TV, I had a DV DVR and I filled that DVR with movies that I didn't, I didn't have time to watch, you know? So essentially I kind of haven't been watching live TV since maybe 10 years, maybe, you know? And that was the thing about in the eighties and nineties, you would watch these movies would come up on cable late night cable or, TNT or whatever, maybe even the local channels, and you would—that's how you would watch movies. Oh yeah, and it would be on. You'd catch it. Yeah, you catch movies. Yeah, that because of the live TV, it's mostly gone now, or at least in my case, I I don't catch older movies anymore. You know, and maybe that's a sad thing or something. Maybe I have to, and maybe that's why I'm so excited about this podcast because it, it's really forces me to like kind of revisit these movies again and yeah. you know, revisiting Ghostbusters was a great surprise because it holds up. It is a very funny movie. It is great. I mean, yes, you can maybe complain about the special effects, but you know, it's the but 80s, you gotta, man. Yeah, yeah. You got to put, 
you can't complain about effects if you don't take in the genre, the time frame yeah. and what they had to work with. Yeah, that's that's you. If someone doesn't like an older movie because of special effects, they they shouldn't open their mouths. It's like saying like don't like this black and white movie because it's black and white. You know, like no man, come on. That's like that's a classic. That's like you know. Yeah, that's how it was. Yeah, that's how it was back then. Uh, I, I think we should be, should, we should be closing off this episode. Um, it was a great movie. We loved it. It was great to watch again. Like you said, you were kind of trying to uh, relay that message too. Mm-hmm. I'm glad you picked this flick. Oh, it just makes sense because of the new movie, the new Ghostbusters movie was coming out, and it just makes sense to re, kind of revisit again. And I'm glad I did because I really appreciate some of the the nuances of the comedy that that they were doing. And it, it, like I was saying, it, it, the comedy was there to serve the story rather than the story serving the comedy. And I think that's a big difference. And yeah, it's huge. And I think it's also for this for being our second episode, there is kind of a correlation with our first episode, which we dived into uh the american werewolf in london uh because john landis worked with ivan ryman on animal house uh a lot of the a lot of these same guys worked together i mean i think uh uh with american werewolf in london the composer of that movie was elmer bernstein and he's also the composer on this movie on ghostbusters and uh he has like he has a really great theme song in this movie. I mean, let me play a little bit of that theme song because I think it's perfect. It's kind of like a throwback to some of that 50s, 40s ghost movies or horror comedies. Also, he plays a little bit of that piano and it's like very fun and it's catchy and it's instantly recognizable. It's so it's like perfect, right? I mean, it's like uh, it's so if fun. If you close your eyes, it makes you yeah, it makes you want to get up and just kind of walk around, <laughs> look at stuff. It's a it's it's perfectly capsulizes the the movie itself. It's fun. It's kind of like fun. it's light hearted, and it's also kind of a little spooky at the end there. Uh, is it? You have anything else you wanted to add to the? Uh, um... Well, my thing was I was thinking that uh, when we were talking about lines. Dude, it literally has the greatest line ever. That we came, we saw, we kicked its ass. Smith, quickly, I want that door open now. Don't stand over there. We came, we saw, we kicked its ass. That line is something I used to say all the time when yeah. I was young. It's, it's the greatest line it's, ever. Yeah, it's the greatest line ever. It's the, it's the, it's made all the trailers, the TV spots. It was something we would say all the time. And it, and it, and you had to like walk through the doors to say it, right? It's like yeah, when we exactly. walk, you have to it's walk, an intro, man. <laughs> yeah, if you walk into like your classroom, you walk in through that door and you say the line to the whole class. You know, it's yeah. like especially yeah, if you went to go do something and you're coming back, <laughs> it kind of sums up my whole you know your whole trip. <laughs> like how to go? We came, we saw, we kicked it there. 
Yeah, so it was look, it was a fun movie to relive again. It's a great movie. It's you know, it's Ghostbusters. It's obviously a classic and people have been talking about this movie for for decades now. Oh, and they will too. It's and so yeah, good. it's going to continue to be a timeless classic. And uh let me end the episode well, let's end the episode with saying thank you for listening to us talking about Ghostbusters. Uh, uh, you know, we're going to continue with uh, more uh, movies from the 80s and 90s, talk about them in, in great length. Um, is there anything you want to add, Angel? No, I just we really appreciate if anybody if if anybody stumbles across this, listen, tell your friends. We want to be your favorite mistake. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, let me end it with maybe a... a part of the soundtrack of ghostbusters maybe uh, and this is this surprised me because this is this is a song called magic by mick smiley and at first you don't hear it right like like phil collinsy yeah like okay i go oh maybe i know this maybe i remember this in the in the, in the movie somewhere let me forward to the two two minute mark and i think you get to really recognize the song this is in the film? This is in the film. Watch it. Watch. Listen. It's a it's an awesome song. Oh, no, it is. <laughs> Alright, thank you for listening to Tarantinos. We'll leave you with this song, Magic by Mick Smiley.